you to it. Hello. Once again, there we are. And good day. You're joining us in a new slot uh, because of something we in South Africa here call load shedding, which is essentially uh, electricity failure on a large scale. But um, so yes, we're recording at a different time and we are eating hot cross buns because it's Easter weekend just about. Indeed. And, and uh, yes, Stefan is walking around in the background because he's organizing coffee, which more of which later. But uh, yes. <laughs> so that's Stefan Foss in the kitchen. I'm Bruce Dennell and we have Peter Terry. Uh, so uh, just I'll add on things here as you go. Actor, writer, playwright, uh, theater benevolent fund board member. Radio presenter. Radio presenter, father, husband, thing. Dog's body. Dog's body, yes. So and we're going to be talking about his new one-man play, which is called At All Costs, which is lovely, and I have seen, I think, what is the only run so far, and, and I hope it will yeah. come back again very, very soon. But uh, yes, if you are tuning in for the first, or maybe the first time, or the first time for a while, just to a reminder, at the chorus here, we are here to try and make your life easier when it comes to consuming lovely, arty things, like, like books, and theatre, and music, and all sorts of things because we'll we'll watch a lot of stuff a lot of it will be crap we'll then tell you that you won't have to watch it <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we've saved you some time and effort um, and we'll also tell you what's really good um, and then you can go and spend lots of money on artists we actually have um, proof that someone listens to our podcast today Bruce do you tell us what's, what's that this that yellow box oh that yellow box no no I see I don't know if that's for the podcast or not but we have some, oh. somebody has sent something called functional mushrooms uh, which is a, uh, yeah, it's it's sort of sachets that you need to mix into hot water or something. But it does say don't give to pregnant women. So presumably we'll, we'll be okay. Into a bath, maybe. Yeah, maybe. But do you get dysfunctional mushrooms, you know, mushrooms <laughs> with issues? I think so. I think, and they, yes. And, and you know, I, I think if you have too many magic mushrooms, then uh, you are, as a result of mushrooms, dysfunctional. Um, <laughs> but we may we may try some of that, or we may not. But does, we're a bit. It does sound tempting, and I'm not a druggie. You know? We're a bit suspicious, but uh, you know, it's it's early days. And then also this rusty thing we have, and we are very pleased to announce this. We have, as we've been muttering about for a while, we're basically the three things we want sponsorships for are coffee, whiskey, and guitars. Um, that's a, I think a good short and, and therapy. Well, that'll come later. Yeah, okay. um, and then, so, so what we, what exactly, all of those things are therapy. So what we have now, thank you to Cito uh, of Cito 1974 Coffee. So Cito of uh, Vornaboom and uh, Blood Honey and other musical outlets and also of uh, stage, stage fame in South Africa, at Jesus Christ Superstar amongst much else. Um, but he has agreed to be our coffee sponsor. So today we are having some uh, Cito 1974 Azul. Of his particular and, uh, that vintage. Is, that is what is coming. So that's why it's so quiet without Cito talking now. Uh, Cito talking, Stefan talking even. Um, because he's I making the coffee, which is now arriving at the table, which is tremendously exciting. I'm going to bring some mil no, milk for you. Take mine straight and black. Straight and black. Um, so... Cito 1974, please go and look him up. He's on all sorts of online things as well, um, including eBucks. If you're attached to eBucks, you can go and buy it there. Um, also, if you just hunt him down on Facebook, uh, Facebook Martin Live. Cito Otto, Martin Cito Otto, um, then you can buy through 
directly via him, but I'll also look up all the other bits and pieces to give you later in the show. But that's Cito 1974 coffee, which we're about now, to enjoy. Are we obligated, because it is a sponsorship, to say, mmm, what a delicious cup of coffee, even if it's completely rubbish? I think the problem there is that you've just made it. Yeah, it's probably had more to do with you. So exactly. It's so if it's completely rubbish, it's probably your fault. Um, no. Very, very good. There we go. I heartily um, endorse it. Excellent. So, so that's that's something we're doing now. And if you have uh, guitars to give us and uh, whiskey, please join join the fun. But let's stop talking rubbish and uh, veer sideways from rubbish to Peter Terry. Um, <laughs> and talk about your new show, which is or current show, which is no milk for you, friend. Ah, yes, I would like some milk, please. Which is called <laughs> at all costs. So, this is a uh, a theatre show. It's a one man show. Uh, you wrote, and developed all from scratch, and it deals with the horrendous events of Delville Wood in the First World War. South African soldiers involved. But that's enough for me. Can you unpack it for us a little bit, what the whole project was and is about? All right. Uh, do you want the, what my daughter would say, give us the five-minute version, Dad? Do you, do you uh, we, have, we have time. Okay. We have time. Well, uh, you know, I, I've um, been very interested in the First World War most of my life, um, particularly the poetry of the First World War. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually first visited Delverwood in 1970, oddly enough. Okay. Uh, I, I mention that because it's kind of relevant to the play itself. And I was there again in 2016 for the... Um, it was, in fact, the centenary of my wife's great-uncle being killed on the Somme, not far from Delverwood. Oh, wow. Hmm. And uh, that was a very moving time. And we visited Delverwood, mm-hmm. and, and I walked again through the woods and so on. And it, it is a remarkable place today, a beautiful place. and and difficult to imagine the, the, the kind of the horror of, of what went on in the battle all those years ago in 1916. Is it again, sorry, is it, is it a wood again now? Of, yes, no, it's, it's, it's a beautiful forest. Okay. Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, you, if, if you walked in there and you didn't know the history, you would, would never imagine that there'd been a, a horrific Shot battle. in anger. Yeah. And although you can still see some of the trenches are still... Okay. Uh, they make little sort of furrows and ditches in the ground and sure. so on, but but all the trees have been replanted and, and grown, and it's oh, just a beautiful forest now. And in fact, the whole of the Somme area, which was so destroyed in uh, particularly 1916. Yeah. Now, as I say in the play, you know, it's just flat farmlands and little forests here and there, and um, <coughs> a couple of gentle hills, and it's impossible to imagine that there was the wow. kind of the war that we see the photographs of. Mm. And uh, so, um, you know, it's always been a, a kind of an interest of mine, and I've read the books, and, and uh, I've read books on the Somme over and over. Um, but uh, last year, in about, oh, I suppose, October, um, I bleated on Facebook about the fact that I was now out of work and I had no money, and if anybody had a job for me, I'm, you know, kind of... <laughs> we bleat about coffee, and look what happened for yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, so what happened was Janice Honeyman, who I've known since 1972. Janice for those of you, sorry, who don't know Janice, just one of our, our sort of foremost theatre directors. Yes, uh, uh, particularly uh, well known for her pantos. Pantos course, and but, so but, on and so on. But internationally recognised, yeah. uh, she's worked a lot she's with the Royal Shakespeare. She's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> she's done a lot of work with the Royal Shakespeare Company yeah. and uh, has an international reputation. And, um, as That's I say, we've been friends for 50 years. Mm. Wow. And she phoned me, uh, she said she was in the bath when she phoned me and she said <laughs> she'd seen my That's little beast on Facebook and come on, get off your bum and do something. 
and uh, she's write a something. So she and she would direct it, and we'd do a performance in her garden, and on we would go. And, <laughs> Amazing. You know. uh, and she said, I said, well, what about? She said, anything you feel like, you know, maybe about a First World War poet, because she knew I'm mm, interested yeah. in the poetry, or a classical composer, or whatever. And I used to I still do my walk up and down my driveway, which I. Uh, because of COVID, I started doing that, and it's actually rather nice, and you can think your own thoughts. And, mm, uh, mm. Uh, and as I was walking up and down my driveway, it kind of came to me, well, if I'm going to be doing the show, and I'm 70, <clears throat> uh, and, and a, a fellow who'd fought at Delverwood would have to go to Delverwood again uh, in 1970, because, so he would, so let's say he was born in 1897, he's 19 years old, he fights in the Battle of Delverwood, and then a person of my age goes back to Delverwood. So I'm this yes. 70-odd-year-old mm, fellow. But you've got to get the timing right, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I placed it in 1970. And in fact, uh, some of what I mentioned in the play uh, was what I experienced as in a youngster in 1970. Oh, I went on a moth okay. tour, uh, you know, the old moth mm-hmm. veterans guys, and, and they wow. did a 25th anniversary tour of battlefields in Italy and France from the Second World War. And there were a lot of older fellows too who'd been in the First World War and wives and children mm. and grandchildren and what have you. And we all went in these luxury buses around Europe and up through Italy and into France and went to various battlefields and cemeteries and so on, including Delverwood. Wow. And I mean, so I, w- I was, in a certain sense, I had seen old men in their 70s <coughs> returning to Delverwood exactly. on, on a kind of a Reliving it, yeah. And I thought... Uh, this this fellow would be let's make him someone who's reluctant to return because he was so traumatized by the battle um, that that going back there uh, is is something is a huge barrier for him to get past and while he's there he will relive the battle as, in the present tense so, yes, you know so so it sort of uh, happens to him again he relives it literally um, and that was how the idea kind of popped into, plopped into my lap and I sat down and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote for about a week and uh, the play was finished and, oh, and I was sort of fairly happy with where it was. I sent it to one or two of my friends before sending it to Janice and said, what do you think? And I got some feedback uh, and then I sent a second or third draft to, to Janice and she loved it because I was, you know, if, if she had undertaken to, to direct it, but she I thought if, if she hated it, <laughs> What now? I thought, well, if she hates it, I'll, I'll just have to direct myself. And Figure it out, yeah. Because I think it's a play worth doing. And hmm. one of my big chums, uh, Anthony Fridgeon, who's, who's also a First World War yeah. expert, um, had read it and he said, no, you've got a little gem here. Okay. And so I was encouraged by that. So if you follow, sorry, if you follow both Peter and Anthony on, on Facebook, Facebook. You'll, you'll, you won't believe that uh, kind comment because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, they're, 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 yeah, their personae are, are, are at war. There's a lot of bad time. <laughs> yeah. And um, so, so, you know, he said, look, I think, it's, uh, I think you've got a little gem. And um, so even if Janet, uh, Janice had hated it, I was still determined to go mm. ahead and do it. But she loved it. Um, uh, and we worked on it and we changed quite a lot in rehearsals. And okay. she, she brought out a lot of what she felt was important in terms of emotions and, and for me as an actor, making me get braver and braver yeah. with it. And no, let, me, let me jump in there because just having, having seen it, I mean, you do, obviously a lot of it is storytelling, the kind of thing you're almost doing now because it's, it's set the character mm. of the man is, is a guy who, who's, who's putting together a book. Yeah. Um, so he's explaining why he wants to write the book, blah, 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 all of that kind yeah. of thing. So it's kind of what you're, you're doing now. But um, uh, that whole sort of PTSD impacted yeah. 
breaking down and so on. You know, so so as as uh, the character goes through the story of Dell and remembers yeah. horrible details. Yeah. So that's another thing as a, as a as an audience member that I love so much, just the incredible attention to detail, so that you really do get. I mean, it's a small place. Yeah. You know, it's a tiny little spot on the earth. Yes. Yeah. But the detail of it, and the detail of how you felt, and the detail of how nineteen-year-old felt, and the this, mm, and, the, mm. and the, just the sheer bowel emptying terror of it, yeah. Um, yeah. and he, seeing he, friends vaporize and yeah. stuff. So just, I mean, as an actor, to get into to that space, because I mean, you're walking out, you know, in front of a bunch of friends, and you're this, and you're that. And well, you're like, yeah. Ah. Look, I mean, uh, originally it was it was actually quite an, an intimate play in the sense of. I had written it so that somebody came to speak to him and, and they sat down and had a cup of tea and he told the story. Um, and so it was quite low-key. Okay. And Jenna said, it's not a play yet. Hmm. So, so let's, she said, make it into a, a sort of a public talk hmm. in, a, in a community hey, hall. Dogs. You, you, you're talking to an audience, you've been invited to talk at, say, the Parkview the, you know, school hall or yeah, yeah. church hall or whatever. Uh, and and so so the the reliving becomes as you say I mean he, he goes into PTSD Scary, all yeah. over again, which which is quite frightening, um, and uh, you know Janice brought all of that out, and um, so you 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 picked up on something that I thought was quite interesting, in the sense that at one stage in early in rehearsal I, I felt that he would be quite. Not, not numb, but, but, but it would be slightly at a distance. Because yes. I've, I've watched lots of video material of, of old soldiers talking about the battles that they fought in First and Second World War. And they're quite unemotional about it. You know, so, uh, we, we went up over the ridge and I saw my mates getting killed and blah, blah, blah. And they, they, so oh, this, yeah. um, they've obviously processed it sure. yeah. you know, to, to some extent. And some people do talk about the war and other people don't talk about the war. Mm. There was a... A lovely old actor that I worked with for many years who'd fought in the Second World War. He loved telling his war stories. Mm. Uh, other people just could not bring themselves to mention it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just thought that, you know, perhaps this, this guy has blocked it out of his mind for so long that actually going back there brings it all to the surface yes. again. Yeah. And, and now retelling it in the Parkview Town Hall, he relives yeah. it a yeah. second time. So it's sort of almost kind like of a double Almost unexpectedly whammy, you know, as well, yeah. 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 Reminds, Which you picked up on very nicely. It reminds me of uh, uh, Rowan Atkinson as Black Adder in uh, I think it's uh, Black Adder Four. Mm. Black Adder goes forth where they're set in the First World oh. War, and there's some lovely moment with Rick Mail who plays Lord Flashheart, who's <laughs> a, a pilot, and he's just this you know combing yeah, women out of his moustache for weeks <laughs> as he you know plows and, and battles the Red Baron and. Uh, 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 Rowan Atkinson's character, uh, Captain Blackhead, is quite um, cynical about the war and the endless, senseless death and everything. And he makes some snide comment, and Flashheart goes, I know what you think of me. You think I'm not sick of this war? The death, the suffering, the endless poetry. Segway is quite nice. I mean, yeah. No, I was going to say, that because I think it's important, is, is that. I grew up in, in, you know, sort of in the 60s where um, Britain had, uh, there was a Labour government and the, the lefties were, were writing the history books and <coughs> rewriting the history books mm. and um, it became uh, the, the sort of the received wisdom from the 1960s was that the generals were all idiots and that mm. the soldiers were, you know, lions led by donkeys sure. and, and it was a whole class Fortunately, thing. that's no longer the case. Oh, wait. But you, <laughs> but you see what's interesting. There were things like, oh, what a lovely war, the very yes, satirical yeah, yeah. Mm. musical play and then a movie. And A.J.P. Taylor wrote a very sarcastic history of the war. And um, 
so we grew up thinking that the First World War had been an absolute disaster and, and senseless and futile and all of those things. But, but around about the turn of the century to, to into the 2000s, um, there's been quite a strong revision of history. And, and now, I mean, I, I read a man called Professor Sheffield, Gary Sheffield, who's a highly esteemed historian, who says all of that is wrong. Mm-hmm. He, he says he's, that, that, that basically um, the, the disasters such as the Battle of the Somme and Battle of Arras mm-hmm. in 1917, etc., were all part of a huge learning curve to the point where Britain and, and her, her Commonwealth allies actually won one of the greatest military victories in all of world history, mm-hmm. which puts a different spin on it. And, yeah, and he says it was tragic, but it was not futile. Those mm, are his yeah. exact words. So I've, I've taken to thinking that, that you know, maybe, maybe it's too easy to say, oh, it was pu- pointless and futile mm. and senseless and all of those things. I mean, the fact is that I think all war is futile yeah, and pointless. I was going to say that comes to the play as well. You, you, have, you have to kind of hopefully feel that at, 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 no, at your core. I mean, yes. Is, is it an anti-war play? Yes, I suppose so. Um, although for me, it didn't start off as, now I'm going to write an yeah, anti-war sure. play. What shall I do? Sure. I just wanted well, to tell this story. Does it have story. to be an anti-war play as much as an I'm anti-everyone dying play? <laughs> that too. But, but you know, the, the fact is that mankind has got a creative gene and a destructive gene. And we all have it, yeah. every single human being. We My can wife all create, gene, <laughs> and we can all destroy. And, and war has been around since you know sticks and stones were yeah. invented. Yeah. So, so, and it's not going away. You know, hello, Ukraine, yeah. um, and many other countries <laughs> dotted wow. around the globe right now. So, you know, an anti-war play is is for me is a little bit of um, uh, not masturbation, but it's it's a little bit sort of self-indulgent in a way yeah, to, yeah. to write something anti-war yes of course yes. one hates war but but what about the people who get caught up in it what yeah, happens yes. to them yeah. you know what again, do they go through in terms of, of the, the characters breakdown that's tribute is paid yeah you know yeah. It, all those 70 year olds you went on that tour with mm. uh, and we you know, we have to again it doesn't matter if you hate war if somebody went and nearly died yeah but you know theoretically on your behalf However, the theory, yes, you, however respect, theoretical the link is, you've got to go. Respect has to be thank paid. You for yeah. your, thank you for your service. Kind At of the thing. going down yeah. of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them. Yeah. Um, that story I tell um, as my character in the play actually happened to me when I was that 19 year old youngster in 1970, walking around that gra- uh, graveyard at Castiglione de mm. Pepoli. And I came across this man who'd been standing for a long time at this, these two gravestones. And he turned to me and he said, You see these two gravestones here? Mm. And I said, yeah, there was a corporal and a colonel. And he said, I was this colonel's driver. He said, but on this date, and he pointed to the date on their gravestones, he said, on this date, I was ill. And this fellow volunteered to drive the colonel for me. And he had a lie. (laughs) And and it it, it occurred to me many, many years later that it it must have been the first time he'd ever been back to see those two men's graves. And... I was probably the only person that he ever told that story to, mm-hmm. as he stood there looking at, and, and you know, it, it's for me one of the most profound things that's ever happened to me. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's the thing about war is that it is such an extreme experience. Mm. So everything is at extremes, even your humanity mm-hmm. is forced to its extremes of And you and your good friend, yeah, because you, I mean, it's all, there's always the enemy, but if you have to go over and pot some other 19-year-old. Yeah, yeah. 
shoot you're him in the, the face. Yeah. You know. And just in, in all, his all of time, your company might be working with his company on a project. Yeah. You might exactly. have him to stay over at your house. Yeah. And play football on Christmas Eve or whatever. Well, my dad's best friend, sorry to interrupt no, no. you, uh, Bruce, my dad's best friend was I a Lancaster bomber pilot um, in the Second World War. And he flew all his missions, totally unscathed, finished his allotted number of missions and never flew again. And he got a distinguished flying cross. And, and of course, when you're a Lancaster bomber, you're a, any yeah. number of miles above your victims. And, yeah. and yeah. so it's at a complete remove. Yeah. And so in a certain sense, he, he went anything. through that entire war unscathed, although he dealt death yeah. and destruction Even to... Even psychologically, he had a distance. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, you know, I think when you're in a war situation, hmm. like I, I've spent a few months on the border, this is as close as I've come to a, a war situation like the Second World War. But I mean, I think all your perspectives and, and thoughts and views uh, yeah. change. Well, you probably, I mean, you probably need to start with self-preservation and mm. work from there, but that, that becomes a completely different thing yeah. in terms of what so. you're going to give. All of this as, because you mentioned earlier your, your interest in, in First World War poetry, mm. um, but all of this as, as ammunition, <laughs> it's a war pun, but, uh, for, <laughs> yeah, is it for poetry, for inspiration, for, for writing. And, I mean, how did you develop that interest? I mean, what, how, Talk us through the, the interest in, in the poetry. In the poetry, well, yeah. there again, you see, I had done my basic army training in 1968, and my brother had gone to, my eldest brother had gone to Cambridge on a, on a scholarship to, he was a physicist. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I'd just come out of the army, and he sent me a, a, a vinyl LP of a British actor reading Wilfred Owen's poetry okay. and some of his letters. And I became absolutely obsessed with this LP. And I mean, I'd sort of read a couple of Wilfred Owen poems because one did yeah. futility at school, and, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, well, school is futile. But, but, but it became, uh, I just became more and more, I was able to identify with the poetry at last because, I mean, okay, peacetime training in the army in 1968 was, a, was, was not terribly no, sort of war-oriented. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we're still training on Second World War weapons. I mean, I was a bazooka boy, you know. Wow, um, these sacks of straw are going to be easy to outwit when we get yeah, into the yeah, battlefield. Exactly. It was about that, you know. I mean, we were training on Vickers machine guns and okay. and six pounder anti tank guns, Second World War stuff. And um, so, so my my sort of, as it were, identification with war was 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 very distant, but yet uh, having kind of faced up to the fact that uh, you know I wrote a you poem when I was a kid. The grass, the, the sky is blue, the grass is green, I'm being taught to kill, I'm 17. Um, so, mm. You know, that 17-year-old that boys were being, we couldn't vote, we couldn't drink, we couldn't yeah, go to see could, dirty movies, but we, we, were, again. we were being trained by the government to, to kill people. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, it's all a bit of a cliche, I suppose, but, but that identification with a young poet uh, writing about real war and writing beautifully about real war and and so my interest in particularly Wilfred Owen grew and grew and then in other poets like Sassoon and um, Rosenberg etc etc um, because often those filters are so interesting so again you've written this whole play as as a way of, of expressing an interest yes. in something they they again many of them will have been you know running across no, no man's land, running back, etc., mm -hmm. etc., et or, or less or more, depending, I'm not exactly sure of what Wilfred did himself, or Sassoon did himself, mm. but um, but just processing, I suppose, literature as a, as a means to process something that profound. Yeah, look, I think so. I mean, they both both um, Sassoon was actually recommended for the VC and, and got the MC, a military cross, wow. and so did Wilfred Owen. 
Uh, I mean, they were active fighting mm-hmm. soldiers, killing people, um, but uh, you know, horrified at the same time by what they were doing. Whereas Isaac Rosenberg, the the Jewish poet who who lived for a while in South Africa, in fact, um, was was a private soldier, and he was not a very good or competent soldier. <laughs> he was sort of late for parade and you know his uniform was always messy and so on. But his poetry really does, I don't know, it just, it, it, it's, it's, it's grittier and grainier than, mm. than the slightly more poetic poetry okay. of, of an Owen or a Sassoon, although Sassoon was, was a bitter, bitter man. Um, and, and so it's, it's quite interesting to see how they distilled their own experiences mm. uh, into poetry uh, and um, the story goes that Owen was a fairly mediocre poet. Uh, he'd been very influenced by, by other poets and, and he was sort of writing rather imitative poetry. But then he got suffered from shell shock and he went to a place called Craig Lockhart for soldiers who were suffering from shell shock. And there he met Siegfried Sassoon, okay. who kind of got him over the hump of mediocre into brilliant. Mm. And um, Sassoon... Is chances of that? Uh, well, two I, people, just, those I mean, two particular two, people bumping into yeah, each other. Two in great scenario. minds. I yeah. mean, plays have been written about their meeting. Uh, novels have been written about their meeting. I mean, it's it's, a, it's an iconic moment yeah. in yeah. British literature, in fact. And and they were both writing excellent poetry. Um, so the poetry of the First World War, oddly enough, there's very little of any great merit that came out of the Second World War. So something to do with the the, the yeah. stagnation of the trenches and and that kind of. Um, slaughter, mm. whether it was um, yeah. Gary Massive Sheffield's skills, yeah. learning curve, or whether it was uh, you know kind of oh what a lovely war. Because I mean the song how was, that was it, how many how long was that the the whole the, the succession whole, of battles. Uh, well, the it, was, it was, was well it went on from 1914 to 1918. So it's just I mean one long. Most most of the war was kind of fought from these two sets of yeah. trenches. Mm. There was very whatever movement there was was then retaken and retaken oh. and just back and forth, that, back and forth. I find that interesting that less and said or, or nothing of, of uh, significance came out of the Second World War and I wonder how much that has to, I mean obviously the war was fought very differently technologically yeah, a very different so kind of war it must be something to do with that but I wonder yeah. as well as I wax philosophical if <laughs> if uh, uh, in through through modernism and the um, uh, industrial revolution and so on uh, I wonder if we are becoming less Less poetic as we, because I don't know that there's been much poetry in the Gulf War yeah. or uh, yeah. as a species, I'd probably say yes. But fortunately, okay. fortunately, yes. there are individuals who are still doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of great poets from our times, like Seamus Heaney, is one that immediately yeah, springs to mind. And um, uh, but but yeah, I, I suspect you might be onto something there because I think social media and and the, the very brief mm. attention span that we all mm. have these days. Because poetry is a very deep. Thing. Yeah, it's very late yeah. and, 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 and you, can't write, you can't write the wasteland in 15 minutes yeah but you only got 40 characters Bruce, so <laughs> yeah. you've got to yeah but make haikus plans. i think haikus <laughs> is the way forward war haikus but perhaps in in a certain sense you know the first world war came out of the victorian edwardian era yes um where where poetry was much more the sort of the mm. currency mm. Yeah, of, of people that 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 might have something to do with it whereas you know, post First World War and the depression and and the nihilism that, that mm-hmm. went with the end of the First World War. By the time the Second World War came around, I think there was a huge amount of cynicism. Yeah, everyone was an alcoholic, so they just um, couldn't stay yeah. awake to write. Yeah, yeah. Um, well. jumping jumping to the the title because it is it's a big uh, at all costs mm. and in, in in the play it's it's a big moment of just going, yeah, you know, when that order comes through. Mm. 
hold the wood, hold the wood at all costs, which is just the most terrifying yeah, I, thing I, to I hear. I think so. You know, what, listen, I, look, I, I can only imagine because I've never been in, a, in in that sort of a battle, and thank God I probably never will be. But but what what do you what goes through your mind when they say to you, you will hold this wood at all costs, you will not retreat, you will not surrender. You will hold the wood, mm. Is it, mm. so it's death or that's or, it until the last also, one is killed. Also, to the point of if you retreat, we'll shoot you. Kind yeah, of, type yeah. of thing. I mean, I, I don't know if they were ever threatened with that. I know but, that I know that happened on the Russian front in, in the second yes, war, yeah, so, yeah. which is a lot of yeah. fun. I don't want to get shot by them, so I'm going to go this way. Oh wait, they'll shoot. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. you, you know, I mean, the, the actual battle of Delva Wood lasted for for a lot longer than the South African part. We mm. we started the the battle of Delva Wood in the middle of July. And were pulled out around about the 20th, 21st or so. Uh, but um, other troops were, were put into the wood and kept holding it until sometime through August. Mm. Um, so when we talk about the Battle of Delver Wood uh, as South Africans, we think of it as a four day battle, mm. but it was a, a lot longer. And then um, the Germans retook it, and then the, the British took it back again. And, you know, it was this back and forth, back and forth. And some people, some historians uh, who, who I think are respected, will say to you that the Battle of Delver Wood served absolutely no um, strategic, purpose. strategic purpose. Others say, no, it was it was strategic because Delver Wood was on slightly higher ground. I mean, in, in, in the Somme, it's all flat. Yeah, so, yeah. so sort of a couple of meters is, is, is like useful, to your advantage. But, but, I mean, is it, but, is it um, that many people useful? Uh, just, no, I mean, when you think of the... It's I mean, I go through... One of the books that I used, uh, and I should mention this because it's it's important, one of the, the books that I used as my main source of, of material and research and so on um, has has the role of, of honour of the men who died mm. in Delver Wood. And it's just page after page oh, no, after man. page after page. And a, a lot of the material that I use and, and sort of say as my character mm. is actually what... Uh, comes out of that book the real stories of real people mm-hmm. those things actually with their actual names uh, well, yeah. no I mean th- 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 those names are all real names yeah that, that, that's my point though it's just uh, again it, 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 you can't tell everybody's whole story no. there, but, but the fact is if he, if he was Billy yeah. Andrews or something there was a Billy Andrews yeah, who was terrified yes. that night that, and such that, and such um, yeah. the, the, the story of Georgie uh, Greenwood, who, who who says, "Hell, there are a lot of bees buzzing around here," and his mate Martin Carey says, "Those aren't bees; those are bullets." That is absolute fact. Which is terrifying again because yeah. it's so it's so sort of offhand, yeah. but they're in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, stories like you know we hadn't had any sleep for forty eight hours and we were just falling down asleep where we were. where we were, and never mind the noise and the danger. Uh, you know, so, so in fact, a lot of the dialogue or monologue, basically uh, that that I use is 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 real. Yeah, hmm. um, which which is what makes it powerful because yeah. It's, yeah. it's 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 powerful anyway because again I think anybody with half a sense of yeah as a, just the proper full on terror of mm. war will get you know you can tell you can tell a war story yeah but if when you add truth to it when you yeah. add yeah. when you make it real it's it's so it much is. more the other thing with the um, at all costs as a as a line is it's it's the kind of thing that comes from somebody in a comfortable spot many kilometers away. Yeah, possibly. Who's, who's yeah. Had to, and yes, they will be under enormous pressure, obviously. But mm. but they've probably made that decision quite quickly. Yeah. You know, somebody's coming to the tent and they've sat around the table and they go, "Okay, we need to do that." Yeah. And yes. that's your yeah. whole life and the life of all your friends hinges on the. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the right scenario. Somebody, yeah, yeah, somebody take yeah, the message yeah, down that, the line. It's all very primitive. Oh, ah, ah. I mean, my 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 wife's great uncle who d- died on the third of September, nineteen sixteen, in an attack on Tifal, um 
Haig dismisses that attack as saying the troops weren't really very good that day. But my wife's great uncle yeah, gave yeah. His, his, yeah. his entire life and he was just one of thousands, yes. you know. So and now here we're sitting in 2022, still sitting, yeah, still so talking about it. And you're going, you can't, you can't that, write it all. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't talk about a, a learning curve without talking about the fact that, you know, one of the private soldiers says, we were being slaughtered like, like sheep. Um, you know, the, it's, it depends where you're looking at it from, yes. always. <laughs> That's like Edith says, you know, have a hundred or what, a thousand men yeah. died today in another gargantuan effort to yeah. move General Haig's drinks cabinet 12 yes. inches closer yes. to Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. there's some truth wow. in that. But, but, but as, as you've said, yeah. it's not... And I think our podcast uh, uh, revels in the the grey areas, not these <laughs> these polar yeah, opposites yeah, yeah. of yeah. black and white yeah, and white yeah, and no, there, there, there is, there's so And history will keep being rewritten yeah. um, and, and revised, which I think is good. I think it's healthy that, that you know, it's not all just set and signed and sealed and put yeah. into a glass case. Uh, but we do need, we do is, need context uh, and revised context and re-revised context. And I mean, I, th- I think that in, in a funny little way, and I say this very modestly, the play that I've written and performed is a, is a kind of a contribution to to the history of South Absolutely. African... No, definitely. Because again, it's also, we talked about social media and short attention spans and blah, blah, blah. I mean, my, my kids know nothing about the, mm. the First World War, mm. you know, other than what I have uh, mentioned about something I'm reading and whatever, because I'm a parent who's still actually reading and whatever. Mm. You know, we just, Blackadder would be a reference mm. that, you know, somebody else would get. Um, but these things, it's not, it's not part of the, the psyche as it was for my parents and, yeah, and their yeah, parents. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, th- these, these were living memories for, yeah. for my parents. Mm. They, they grew up as youngsters with people from the First World War. The point is having a play about it now that comes through again. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to be interested in it. You go and see yeah. it and you're going, oh my goodness, I didn't know yeah, yeah, about yeah. much about all of yeah. this. I'd heard one or two things. It was in the first episode of Downton Abbey or something, something, you know, whatever yeah. it was. Um, it so brings it back to life, one hopes. Now, speaking of that, we, what, what are the plans going forward now with the play? Okay, um, there, there are, there's a, I, I, I can say almost 100% certainty that we're going to be doing two weeks in the Johannesburg Theatre in July. Oh, fantastic. Which I'm thrilled about. Excellent. Um, but I can't really say more than that yet. Um, but, but that will give a lot of people an opportunity to see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm getting engagements in funny little places around the country already, and I've got a, a slot also almost signed and sealed at the Hilton Festival. Okay, wonderful. Um, oh, really? so, but it's that kind of production, is I can put it in yeah. the boot of my car and drive anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very likely to go to Dundee in July. Uh, that, that really is, yeah. for a mm. big Delverwood weekend at which I can perform. Wow. That's a wonderful thing, though, with with theatre, which again, not a lot of people think about, is that you can you can write for that mm. particularly, and yeah. particularly one man show. You, yeah, you can, well, it, I mean, that's part of the stays thinking in, behind stays it. Stays in repertoire. I mean, mm. I'm not I'm not hugely f- uh, fond of of one or two person dramas because the 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 chemistry and the dynamics stay fairly set mm. if there's only one person well he's going to be telling a story if they're two people they have a relationship and and it's got to work that's kind of all there is but yeah. if, unless you've got three people then, then then you know the chemistries and and the relationships and the alliances and all mm. of those things can change so so I, I i tend to prefer plays that have got three or more people in them mm. because i think they can be more theatrically interesting yeah. but having said that i mean so many people in this day and age are having to make a living by Traveling around to festivals, yeah. and so they've got to put mm. something in the, the Fenter trailer or their, yeah. or yeah. their boot. Um, and uh, oh, Patrick, Patrick Maynard with his yeah, little yeah. Fenter trailer, um, and and travel around and yeah. and try and make a living like uh, J 
gypsies. I mean, that's we've kind of gone full <laughs> circle back yeah, to yeah, vagabonds yeah. and gypsies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much. Well, we always <laughs> thought we were always vagabonds, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So but, uh, but you're a musician, <laughs> which is worse. <laughs> <laughs> Carrying your drum kit in your yeah. trailer. Um, so our listener, or, or dare I say listeners... Possibly both of them, yeah. Um, yeah. ...should look out for uh, the Joburg Theatre... Yes. Um, well, it's not. It's a, not the Joburg, Joburg Theatre. Theater. It's a theatre in Johannesburg. That's but there we go. A theatre but it, in Johannesburg. But it, it, it will in still July. be called. At all costs. There at we go. Costs. I was waiting for the big finale. All over the place. Yes. Yeah. At and all costs, and it's and Peter Terry. It. And uh, follow him not only for updates on at all costs on 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 the Facebook Terry T E R R Y, um, but also for acerbic, and sometimes massively cynical and always almost always hilarious social commentary which Fantastic. will um yes I, I believe in 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 the u.s they uh, they're called snowflakes if you are a snowflake maybe don't follow Peter. Um, <laughs> but uh but no it's it's always good fun and it's always insightful and uh and sarcastic which gets my vote every time um Can and I also yeah, sorry and, and look out also look out for for verbal sparring between him and anthony fridjohn uh, particularly on war-related yeah. topics. Very nice. Yes. I thoroughly enjoyed our coffee. I thoroughly enjoyed our coffee. Too. It was yeah. sponsored by Cito Thank you, Cito. And we have tried the Azul, Azul. I think. Is, uh, this is the Bomba, which we didn't take. We haven't got to. We'll have to get to that at some point. Sorry. We'll work our way through. Bombastic. Exactly. But it is, yes. Delicious. You jump into something, seeing as for once you haven't had much to say. Jump into something. And I will look up some details of where you can buy all of these good things. So a regular listener, listeners, will know that during our podcast, we talk about things that we've read and listened to and watched and um oh bruce should i or shouldn't i i don't think i'm going to i'm going to save something special for next time um but i've mentioned before that i started watching something on the netflix called archive 81 yes 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 and i saw the first episode i was quite uh quite enjoyed it and i watched the whole season it's bloody brilliant it's a horror series Mm -hmm. and it has so many clever and brilliant and absolutely perfect horror tropes involved and it's brilliant and i thought it was so great and it was scary and it was the cult and it was the the demonic thing from the 1400s and the thing coming (laughs) through the mirror and the souls caught on the old videotapes and the restorations and the isolated thing and the more um (laughs) and then it wasn't renewed for a second so uh, I read one review where they said Netflix obviously feels their their um, stable of horror series, and I think there's really just two. It's the guys that did um, the Haunting of Hill House, yes, and, yeah, yeah. and there's uh, oh, um, cherry brandy cherry f- flavor, whatever that you. Yes, 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 yes. So they said all oh, those have been renewed, um, but this one wasn't renewed. So it was only one season, but I thought it was really creepy, beautifully filmed, very. Now does it is it how clever is it? I suppose is what I'm going to ask. I think is, it's, is, it, is it all uh, jump scares and and, and, no, and no, 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 techniques and things, or is it not is, at it, all. is it? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's okay. about this kid. You learn about this guy, and what he does is he's involved in film, and what he does is he restores old mm-hmm. film formats. And if you find a dusty old thing that's been in a fire, then he can take it and rehouse the tape and clean it. And, and he gets hired by this mysterious wealthy benefactor guy to go off to this very isolated. Um, place and and restored a set of tapes that was recovered from this building that burned down and as he's watching the tapes 
he sort of has these blackouts and then he it seems like he's in the story that he's watching and is he really and then then he says something in his dream and then he's watching the tape the next day and the person talks about what he said in the dream and then it's this <laughs> weird mystery cult that that met in the basement of the building and then he discovers that this house he's in has got all these blocked off things and uh, lots of really cool yeah and okay. it's it's tall and proper, lovely, proper storytelling yeah, proper scary and dark and, and slow when it needs to be and fast when it needs to be Neither is wonderful. Maybe I was just in a mood for something scary. Um, but I watched Archive 81 and I would recommend it. I kind of like that it only has one season because I'm quite... It's kind of like those, those sort of holiday places that you go to and you don't want anybody else to go there. You sort of, I love this place and it's all mine and I don't want to share it. So it's with, with the one series thing you go yeah, in. I don't, yeah. I don't want to ruin it. I don't yeah, want to, it, sure. was, it was lovely and now if, if I do it again, it'll, it'll suck. So I'm also going to mention that I finished season two of a show that I started watching I talked about called Mythic Quest, which mm-hmm. is um, uh, Rob McElhenney and and uh, who are the guys from Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I don't know, you watch I always talk so about uh, Charlie Day. Uh, <laughs> yes, okay. So yes. It's, oh, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's their story. So much treble in that man's yes. voice. Uh, they've started a show called Mythic Quest about a games company and, and shenanigans have gone there. And it, it's it's not... Always uh, successful. Okay. Every episode isn't an absolute brilliant one, but when they get it right and they do enough times, it is just sublimely good. That kind of thing is is a I don't know again, Peter. You have so much experience on on the on the entertainment side, TV hey, and stuff. Yeah, Monty Python seemed to start like that. Like they just sort of took a chance on a bunch of weirdos. Yeah. And let it happen, which clearly wouldn't have happened much here. But in terms in terms of developing work at all because I know you've worked in event management and stuff in terms of uh, working to, you know being given an open book or you know open page whatever is, is that still a thing at all anymore? I, I think less than it used to be you know back in the days when we had subsidised theatre companies such as the Performing Arts Council uh, there was a lot more risk taking mm-hmm. going on uh, because because you could have, you didn't have to worry about the box office to the same extent okay yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so a, a lot of people were given lots of opportunities to kind of, as it were, build something up from scratch. And, and um, I, I, unfortunately, I think those kinds of uh, days are gone because mm. people just can't afford to take, take the risk. That's such, can't to yeah, yeah. that's such an interesting thing that in economics is driving that. If you think of Bruce Springsteen mm. and you think of the first album, Greetings from Asbury Park, and then you think of or is it something, the East Street and the Innocence, whatever, the Shuffle. shuffle. Yeah. Uh, and then album three, you get Born to Run. Mm-hmm. And then album four. Album you know, one and two, he was, or they were they were funding their, well, I think he was getting lifts. I can't remember from Chronic. But, but, but yeah, he was getting lifts in trucks to the opposite side of the country mm-hmm. to play a gig there and then you know, figuring but, but out the way al- back. The record company says, make this album. And then, then he on the first one, uh, he did Blinded by the Light, I think, which, yeah. which became a hit for, for Manfred Mann. Mann. And that was enough to get him a second album. Mm. And then the second album did okay, okay. you know. Yeah. But if he hadn't been allowed to develop, mm. he, like, Born to Run. No, I mean, and this is, born yeah, in this, the, the Simpsons is, is quite an interesting yes. case in point. Yeah. There were a little three minute slot or something that's on right something else what was it Sesame Street or, I think it was Sesame Street first they had a little, but anyway, little, yeah, little, well, little cartoon section show yeah little, uh, and I, I mean you know they've become one of the biggest yeah success stories in TV in, in and you look at season four five six seven of The Simpsons and it's it, every episode is 
absolute goal yeah. and it and, and yeah. they couldn't do that they had to go through that development and i wonder how much yeah. nowadays we don't have that luxury of development and to your to your thing of this 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 show um archive 81 oh, okay. you know being one series is just they're going well it's it's sort of enough but we had worked out according to the business model that it should make X amount of dollars by the state, and it made forty three dollars less than that. Yeah, so cancelled. So, yeah. You know, it's it's a scary it's a scary way to do business creatively. Um, shall I mention one more thing? Do that the I've thing. Watched? Do the thing. Um, Our flag means death. Is Fun. the new uh, comedy by Taika Waititi of mm-hmm. um, Thor Ragnarok and What We Do in the Shadows fame, and it's got Reese Darby Murray from Flight of the Concords. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, they were yeah. great. Those guys. So Murray's the manager. Always goes Brit, <laughs> present, present, Brit. Are you present? Jermaine, uh, <laughs> Jermaine, present. So he's he is a uh, a nobleman, money, uh, moneyed, landed gentry, whatever it is. Yeah. In America, a- and um, something is sort of missing in his life, and what he does is he just basically ups and abandons his wife and two children kind of an arranged marriage wasn't particularly happy um, and decided he wants to be a pirate so he, <laughs> he buys a ship and a crew and um, they're all useless and hits uh, goes off on the seven seas to be a pirate and uh, can't quite uh, doesn't have the fortitude to kill and rape and pillage so he decides he's going to be a gentleman pirate and hilarity ensues and then along the way he meets um, Blackbeard who is played by Taika Waititi um, who's a real pirate and um He's tempted to sort of put him to death immediately when he meets him, uh, old Blackbeard, and then is so fascinated by this gentleman pirate, sort of. And anyway, I don't want to give too much away, but it takes a very, very strange turn in the last, second last ap- uh, episode, and there's lots of things that sort of make sense. Um, and then it's it's quite well written in terms of an arc. Uh, it ends in a very sad spot where things mm-hmm. kind of fall apart, but it's set up for a second season. It's not as um, explicitly funny as maybe I was expecting it to be, um, and I think maybe this is a, a hallmark of his of his humor is that um, a lot of the dialogue and the lines are incredibly funny, but are delivered with no, no. emphasis okay. of funniness. So, so someone will just say something. Yeah. So you've got to kind of see yeah. that you've got to find the funniness in it. I mean, it's very very clever and very funny, but they're not playing up to it. Um, so uh, our flag means death. Uh, yeah, you you have to sit with it a bit. It, it it's not particularly fast paced. You know, maybe a half hour episode feels like it's a bit longer mm-hmm. even. Um, and I wasn't sort of laughing out loud, but it is really yeah, but interesting. Are, again, and funny. That, that's an interesting statement. Just because we we're, again we're programmed to mm. think it's it's a war play, so we must respond sensitively mm-hmm. or you know in somberly. Unless something amuses us for some reason, or it you know triggers a travel memory, or something, you know, like if we don't laugh out loud, then it's not no, not necessarily. You know, I went to yeah. I went to a comedy show last week, and it, it it wasn't always laugh out loud, but it was very enjoyable because yeah. of the storytelling nature of it and the, the sort of intimacy of the theatre. I'm uh, interested to see what well. what other people um, think of it. Mm. Uh, I thought it was very good. Um, I can't quite decide. Uh, how, how brilliant it is. is but it, uh, yeah I do Fair recommend enough. it right can I jump into books because I don't want to cart this around next Quickly. week as well this is like a how t- big is it Bruce it's this big <coughs> oh wow. my goodness okay we broke things <laughs> um, but yes so it's that big it's a 
It's, it's called Chanel Catwalk. Grimoire. Oh, yes. And it's published by Thames and Hudson. And it's, it's, it's one of these books where the actual book is just incredibly beautiful. Sort of black, it looks velvet. Black no? velvety oh, sort of. What's it? Cloth on board. There we go. Um, with the cover. And it's just, it's, it's a coffee table book. It's as you heard. <laughs> you could be um, a coffee table. It could be a coffee table. Broken coffee table. Yes. Yeah, uh, how many table. pages is it? It's, it's several, yeah. several dozen at least. 760 Shot. odd. And again, it's it's talking about the the fashion label, it's not talking not mysteries. not Coco herself. Oh, okay. um, I, I mentioned that I was I was looking through this to a, to a fashion designer friend of mine, and she goes, "Oh, bloody Nazi woman." Um, so yes, Coco Coco was a, a Nazi sympathizer and so had all sorts of other have things. Fallen out of favor, none, haven't they? None of which is in here. Okay. Um, so this is looking at basically if you, if you. I'm I'm a big fan of, of Say what you design. Want about the Nazis, Bruce. I they don't know where this is very going. well. Okay, <laughs> um, but uh, Tommy Hilfiger, I think it was. This no. is um, it, it's 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 looking at design. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of design in general. I'm just fascinated by everything from guitar designs to to furniture design to what I just love the creativity of of design. Um, as you can tell, listener, even without seeing me in person, I'm not a fashion. Uh, I anything any I just I don't I, yeah I just uh, I buy what is cheapest Fashion and then wear it until hard. it falls apart um, but this is fascinating from a, a point for a few a few reasons so Carl Lagerfeld was the the head of design and the main designer there and whatever for many 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 years many, and um, many. again without knowing anything Wonderful. about that going in seeing how um, incredibly influential he was uh, as as Chanel, uh, as the Chanel sort of head of design, but also as a as just as a force in fashion, there some things that fascinated me were just, and it probably also the same as probably the TV development thing. He would kind of it seems in terms of there's, there's not too much text, but in, in see, he would say, well, I, I feel this is now what we're doing, you know. So I think that whatever. Which is the Chanel guitar? Uh, yeah. I, I you know so we must wear mid mid shin jeans and pink socks now. So that's the new range, and you would, and that would happen, you know, and then there would be budget to create six hundred different kinds of, you know, shin length pink. things and blah 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 with pink socks, um, but then also the way they would stage these shows or the, the collections and the, the workload. I think he was getting through, I uh, can't remember now offhand. I think but ten or sixteen or something uh, lines or uh, collections a year, which is an enormous amount of work. Um, and they they had uh, the uh, palace. What's the in in Paris? The national. Versailles. The Louvre. No, no, no. The the. Yeah. Oh, Versailles. No, no. In Paris. Uh, uh, Paris. Anyway, I'm, I'll just keep uh, talking. What are you but, talking um, about now? <laughs> the national palace thing in my job face. Um, I'll just keep looking through while I'm talking. But basically, they would have just access to these amazing, um, or with a budget too high, I suppose. Um, these amazing venues, ah. you know, just incredible, incredible places with enormous and fascinating and monstrously expensive props. So again, Carl would come up with this idea. This is what we're going to do now. We're in ancient Egypt. Somebody build a pyramid. They would make a pyramid out of, you know, I don't know, gold or something ridiculously <laughs> expensive. Plop it in the middle of this. Here we go. Um, oh, yes. Uh, the Grand, Grand Palais. So, but again, enormous space and, and very famous and very historic in the middle of Paris. And then they just take it over and build whatever that year's thing was, whether it be a you know twenty by twenty meter block of something or others. I mean, there's, there's at some point they they build they have the the sort of uh, 
sort of upper body, you know, in, in one of Torso. Chanel's famous yeah. coats, but it's 30 meters high, this thing. Oh so you see these little, you know, petite models, yeah. just hardly, you know, hardly registering next to this enormous thing. Um, what the um, yeah, Exactly. So I've just opened on a page where there's an enormous line that is, I don't know, what, what you know, My get goodness. a sense of the scale. It's just, you know, this, the, the line, there's a tall model there and she is probably half a toe length on this line, mm. um, which is, uh, wow. whatever, three, three, maybe four stories high. Um, and that's just the centerpiece yeah. in this whole thing. So they would, the, the scale of the vision and the, just the, the, the certainty of, of getting it done. You know, I mean, if he was a film director, who, what, yeah. what might yeah. he have done? If he was a play director, what might he have done? He didn't have to sort of sell the idea. Yes, that's, that's your idea. Imagine him as an artistic director yeah. at a big yeah. theater. Just, we are going to do this, let's make, let's make yeah. it happen. Come on, come on. Um, and then a team of designers and a team of this and a team of that. So I love that about it as well. Just and it's probably I don't as I say I don't know fashion well enough to know if that still is is the case. I know there's still a hell of a lot of money involved. Um, well, I've seen some stuff on on social media. In fact, just this morning, some sort of fashion show. I mean, I have never seen anything more bizarre and stupid and <laughs> wasteful yeah. of time, energy, fabric. It's just why this, you know, exactly this these, is the thing. I mean, looking at the photographs that you've just been yeah. flicking through here, it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah, yeah. They've they've run out of. But then some yeah, there's a concertina for a sleeve and a, some I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it, it is again. I'm I'm always fascinated by the design. I do share your what the hell is going on note though. I can still be fascinated, but I'm going. But then I'm going as I would for a terrible uh, TV program or an awful book or whatever. Who greenlit this? Mm. Who signed off on a budget mm. for this mm. and why? Um, so it's it's a fascinating in that sense. You know, again, this this is a book for uh, particularly because it's big and expensive. It's a book for for fashion enthusiasts, it's a, you know, designers, fashionistas, fashionistas uh, collectors, whatever. Um, but also and and historians in that area. Um, but you know, it's just it's just you know, it'll take up too much space in your shelf among other things. You know, it's a foot tall and, and half a foot thick. Um, Kill a rodent. You can kill a rodent, yeah. um, which is useful. Um, but just, yeah, that uh, oh, that I love again that there is whatever it is now, one hundred and thirty odd years for Chanel, I think, of history of. <laughs> essentially, again, I'm talking from a, from an, in a room full of artists here of people throwing money at art. Mm. You know. Mm. I'm, I'm very grateful mm. in terms of Doesn't legacy often, that yeah. that happened. Yeah. That and again, one of one of those setups in for one show in the in the Grand Palais. Um, I don't know what it would have cost in in, in current. It's probably yeah, it's probably two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something yeah. per setup. Sure. You know, plus the price of the clothes, plus the whatever, and then you got the tickets coming in and such and such and such. But they were, they were doing that because they were going. Art is important. Design is important. Jack. Sure. You know, yeah. this continued vision is important. So whether you get, you know, you and I are not getting modern fashion or whatever, that's fine. Yes. Yeah. But the fact that somebody's investing in design, for me, yes. remains a good yeah. thing. Well, it's, I suppose, I mean, I related to the classical composers. I mean, they were um, commissioned by, by patrons yes. to create, you know, the Mozarts and the, and the Hans Sebastian Bachs and people like that would, would sort of said, here's money, go off and create. Yes. And, and you know, so it was the, the patronage of the well, artist. I'm having a ball, yeah. like also hosting a ball patronage. at the end of the month and I need a, a yeah. symphony, please. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, Tell us quickly, while, while we're on that, we're running out of time, but just your, your show on, on Radio Today. Oh, yes, Radio Today, which is on Medium Wave 1485, also Channel 869 and RT1485.com. <laughs> Did you get that, folks? <laughs> but wait, there's more. If you um, call right but now. wait, there's more. It's, it's, a, it's a station primarily aimed at the over 50s, and I do a classical show on Sunday afternoons between 2 and 4. Um, bringing over my sort of experience and, and tastes, etc., mm. from Classic 1027, which is no more. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lovely two hours that I can spend playing my choice of music um, of the classics and uh, unashamedly kind of what I want. Well, okay, on, on that score, because that's what we do, our whole podcast. So unashamedly, on the classical side, because that's not an area of expertise for us, what should we be listening to in, in your current sort of area of of enthusiasm taste wise uh, well you know I mean my, my own personal tastes are not everyone's mm. I mean Bach we don't Johann Sebastian Bach was the greatest perhaps composer of all time mm. a lot of people think Mozart was a lot of people think Beethoven was my favourite composer is a man called Anton Bruckner um, but I oh, I love Dvorak um, mm. and Tchaikovsky and there's very little classical music that I actually don't like um, I would say the 20th century I find quite difficult. Mm. Um, a lot of 20th century stuff for me jars quite a lot. I'm, I'm more 19th and 18th century oriented. Mm. But, uh, you know, uh, classical music, I suppose, is like any music really. is, is It's such an individual thing. Mm, mm. Um, and so in, in the program, I will try to play quite a wide variety of, of styles and composers and you know, some more serious and somber and some more chirpy and lighthearted mm-hmm. and, and so on. Because, I mean, th- that's the wonderful thing about the international universal language of music, yeah. as you will know, is, is that you don't have to speak any particular language to, to love music from other parts of the world. And, you know, your kind of music, I mean, I've been playing quite a lot of Russian music, which is not kind of perhaps politically correct at present, but uh, I just love the Russians, you know, uh, Rachmaninoff, for example, yeah, yeah. Tchaikovsky and those kinds of people. Um, so, yeah, um, if you if you love classical music, uh, please listen to Radio Today on Sunday afternoons between two and four. You can, but you can also download recorded shows? Was that not? I don't know. Okay. I, 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 to be honest, so I don't think so. RT1485? 1485.com, RT1485.com. Okay, go and check that out. They might be, they used to uh, record shows, so there might still be they might. options yeah, there. I'm not sure. Um, anything, I, th- I think we are running out of time. I know you need to go and teach oh, people. Oh, well, you know, Bruce. So let's, let's maybe wrap Brian it up there. But I do want to, because we are very excited to have this coffee sponsorship and Sito thank you very much thank you Sito <clears throat> so I just want to mention if you I'm are so interested in buying uh, the various and he does I think he does have a, a decaf if you need that for any reason um, I knew that would happen but maybe it's a health issue and you can still get then good decaf You're delicious um, and we'll be working our way through the whole range at some point so we have Azul and we have Bomba so Cito 1974 so www.cito1974 the number 1974.com um, Instagram Cito1974 underscore coffee and on Facebook Cito1974 underscore coffee co one word so and it's in coffee C-I-T-O, company. C-I-T-O hey? that is correct okay. I'm thrilled as a coffee connoisseur 
and yes. as a musician. Very nice. And as a podcast podcaster. And as a starving musician who relies on free coffee. Exactly. There you go, exactly. Um, also, if you do... Closer to the truth. Yeah. If you want to give us anything, essentially, we'll just pump it madly yeah, on, we'll on the show. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Um, not your mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> so, so please do get involved and let's, let's, let's partner. Again, it, it is one of the big things of, of uh, the Chorus Podcast is to support artists... Can I just uh, mention and Bruce, other bits and pieces? One yes. of our listeners uh, from abroad, abroad, Matthew Christensen, yes, indeed, has been visiting, and he visited our home uh, on Tuesday evening this week. Mm -hmm. And he came in. And he said, the first thing he did when he walked in was, "Is this is where you do the podcast?" <laughs> and then he said, "Oh, I've listened to Rosie and Jack fighting and barking. Are these them?" <laughs> so. Um, how about so that? We, we've reached a, a soul. We were very a soul uh, in London. Very remiss in not getting a Matt to be a podcast. Yes, but he has, yes, he has but he couldn't make father duties uh, to do. Yes, and we will possibly look at it these. Says, uh, add it, uh, it says exactly this. Add to this any, is the mushrooms now. To any hot beverage or smoothie. Now, I don't like my smoothies hot, but whatever. I also don't want to put it in my stir coffee. Stir well, they're saying, and I think they mean stir well. Or blend until powder is dissolved. So I, I think we may try some of this at some point. It does say science. It does say science on the side, but it spells it P S Y E N C E. So that doesn't give me any confidence whatsoever. <laughs> but um, seeing as we are our own guinea pigs, we might try some. So this uh, functional mushrooms. Uh, now broadcasting from the ceiling. Yes. <laughs> uh, so that might be a weird show, but we'll we'll worry about that when we get there. A wibble. Uh, Peter, thanks so much for coming Thank in. You. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to At talk all about costs that. Is, is Peter's one-man show. It will, it Look will out pop for up it. at a, a theatre in the second half of July. And please come and see it. Come and see it. Um, but also, yeah, just keep, keep an eye for it. And do, do follow him on, on, on Facebook. Very good, very good quality entertainment there. Peter Terry, and that'll also give you details about his Radio Today show and other bits and pieces that he's doing. So thank you very much, and thank you for listening. Great. Till next we meet. Natter on. Goodbye. Love your work.